very last book of the Bible is Revelation. Revelation, uh, right before that is Jude. If you have been with us on Sunday nights and you know we're preaching through it, just one chapter, and you would think that we could very quickly get through one chapter. It's only one chapter. So much is in this chapter. How many lists does Jude give? I think that you're aware of the fact the book of Revelation talks about the Lord coming back, and I wouldn't be offended if that happened tonight. That'd be great. But before the Lord comes back, God put the book of Jude right before Revelation. Jude wasn't the second last book that was written, but God put it in the second last spot to help you and I know what it's going to be like in churches just before the Lord comes back. And if you remember, if you have Jude ahead of you, uh, sorry, in front of you, you know that verse 4 really is what the rest of the little book wraps around. Jude says there are certain men crept in, aware, uh, in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning. Jude says that just before the Lord comes back, there will be an effort to turn churches, to turn Christians. It's called apostasy. The word apostasy means a turning away. And Jude is warning us that uh, obviously it happened in his, the first uh, uh, period of time. But he's saying right before the Lord comes back, it's going to happen again. There's going to be an effort to change churches. And when it happens in your church, Jude says, look there at the end of verse 3. He said, it is needful that we earnestly contend for the faith. So when it happens, you're not supposed to lay down and let them roll over you. You're supposed to take a stand. Having said that, tonight we're in just one verse, verse 11. Jude and verse 11. I'd like us to read that together, reading that out loud. Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. That's our word of prayer. Father, again, we're thankful for each one that's here. Do help our folks that normally would be here and aren't minister to their hearts. Lord, would you help us as we continue to examine the book of Jude? He's warning us about what will happen in the last days, and he's also warning us how it will happen. And so, Lord, may we learn from what Jude writes. Direct your thoughts tonight. Help us to earnestly contend for this faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know that uh, when we are verse 5, 6, 7, we found out their agenda. Their agenda is to turn what's happening. We found in verse number 8 their characteristics. We found it's what they dream about. We found out that it's who they despise. And we found out what they say about those that are in authority. Last week we were in verse 9 and 10 and we looked at the words that they'll use. Preacher, who's the they? It's these that want to change a church. We looked at the words that they'll use. First of all, they'll use, and we saw this last week, irreverent words. No respect for authority, irreverent words. Secondly, we learned that they'll use insolent words, harsh words, hard words. Then we found out that they'll actually use ignorant words. They'll talk about things they don't even know what they're talking about. They are experts in areas that they have no experience Having said that, tonight we find us in verse number 11. And uh, it's been quite a chore trying to get a whole verse. And what's the common theme? Well, look at verse 11. Woe unto them. And so again, we're talking about these that would change a church. And Jude writes, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of. Stop right there for a minute. If Jude is warning about an apostasy, he's not talking about lost people never saved, never in church. Jude is talking about people who once were in church, who once did love God, once did serve God, once did want God. It's those that have apostatized. Now look again, verse 11. Woe unto them. 
Now, what do we find right after the word them? What is that? It's an exclamation mark. It's a, it's a stick with a dot. It's always, it's always, whoa. It's, it's always used at the end of a sentence where there has been, a, boy, something that's just profound. Do you know what's so amazing about verse 11? An exclamation mark is found in the middle of a sentence. Where do you find that? That doesn't end the sentence. You say, how do you know? Because the next word doesn't start with a capital. Folks, that's some, one of the most unusual things found in this verse. So what Jude is trying to do is grab us by the ears. He said, woe unto them. That word woe means stop. It means there's danger ahead. Don't go any further. So this excla exclamation mark after the third word, not ending a sentence, but in the middle of a sentence, he's trying to tell us the way of apostasy. In other words, if, if someone is an apostate, once we're in church, they're no longer there. Once loved God, no longer there. Once ministered for the Lord, no longer Once sang specials, maybe played an instrument, preached, taught, and now they're not even in the house of God. How did they get there? What were the steps that led them to apostasy? Up to this point, He's kind of helped us to understand what they want to do to you and what they want to do to me and what they want to do in a church. Verse 11, he tells us how they got to the place that they are now. And folks, it's three. It's three steps. In fact, my title, if you're writing titles, is Three Milestones of an Apostate's Way. Three milestones of an apostate's weight. Now, the reason that should be important is if people that once were in church aren't, people that once ministered for God don't, people that once had something that they did for the Lord, and now it's all been thrown to the wayside, folks, they, it didn't happen overnight. You don't go to bed Sunday night a Bible believer and wake up Monday morning an apostate. It doesn't work that quick. There are some steps in that process. And what we find in verse 11, Jude gives us the three steps, or as I've said, three milestones of an apostate's way. You know why that should be important to you? Because you might say, well, preacher, I'm not an apostate. I'm still in church, still love the Lord, still try to minister for God. Yeah, but that's, and that's true for me. That you might be able to say, I'm, I'm not there. But could you already have started the way there? Could you or I already have started the first step? Already passed the second milestone? If we know the steps that it takes to get to apostasy, Boy, it sure be good to help us not only to observe someone else going that way, but also to examine our own hearts. Again, I'm preaching on three milestones of an apostate's way. And what Jude does is Jude reaches back into the Old Testament and he finds three apostates. He finds three who did have some semblance of love for God and serve God and he lines them up in the order that shows those steps. Now, look real quickly at verse 11. <laughs> real quickly, we will all night. Verse number 11, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. I think we're familiar with Cain, Cain and Abel. So the first step is Cain. Notice, secondly, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam. So first is Cain. Then what's evidenced is something that's seen in Balaam. Third, the gainsaying of Kor. Now, this is the only place where he's called Korah. Every other place is, is called Korah. Now, follow. If you understand, you'll understand Jude is not just randomly picking Old Testament characters. The first character he gives is Cain. That's Genesis 4. Second character he gives is Balaam. That's Numbers 24. First Cain, Genesis 4, then Balaam, Numbers 24. 
then Korah, that's number 16. Why did he change the order? Because when Jude placed it in this order, Jude is identifying the three clear steps, the three milestones or mile markers, if you would, of an apostate way. So let's see what it is. Let's hope we're not even at step one. Certainly, we don't want to be at step two. Certainly, we don't want to be at step three. Again, look at verse 11. Again, three milestones of an apostate's way. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Well, keep, your, keep something there for Jude. We're going to need it all night. Let's look there in Genesis 4. What is the way of Cain? Because that's the very first step. Again, Genesis chapter 4 is when we begin to learn about this man Cain. Look there in Genesis 4, verse number 1. I know that uh, many here, when the name Cain is mentioned, you know what it's all about. Well, no, let's, let's, let's give a little bit of grace for somebody that might not. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam knew Eve's wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and uh, said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. So, Cain and Abel, uh, sorry, Adam and Eve, they bore a son, that son's name was Cain. Look at verse 2. And she again bare his brother Abel. So Cain, the firstborn, Abel, the secondborn. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And so we understand that. That's all familiar. If you were raised in Sunday school, that's, 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 that's old news. Adam and, Eve, Adam and Eve bare two sons, first Cain, second Abel. Cain was a tiller of the ground. We'd say a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Look there in verse 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. Verse number 3, it says, It came to a time in each of those sons' lives where they knew that they had to bring an offering to God. How did they know that? How did they know that there would come a time in their life when they should have brought an offering to God? There was no scripture. There was no Bible that was written at the time that Genesis 4 is, is happening. We have to come to a conclusion. Their parents told them. Adam and Eve sat those boys down, maybe more than once, said, boys, when we were in the garden and when we sinned, we thought that if we just covered ourselves with fig leaf aprons, peeled these fig leaves off a fig tree and we made aprons with these, boys, we thought that that would satisfy God with our sin. God came along and God said, no good, that won't do it. And God made us coats of skins. To get skins, you have to kill an animal. So God very clearly told us, boys, that there would be a time in every person's life where an animal would have to be killed to satisfy the sin problem in each person's life. We have to come to the conclusion, with the absence of any scripture that was written, that that truth had been handed down from a previous generation, almost sounds like tradition. I, I don't know, all traditions, God's not against. This was a tradition that was handed down from their parents. It was a good one. It wasn't against Scripture. So sure enough, it came to this time where they each thought we have to bring an offering. We know from verse number 4 that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. Very important, that little word S on the end of firstling. He brought of the firstlings of his flock. It means he had more than one. Cain could have got a hold of a firstling of the flock by making a deal with his brother. But anyway, Abel, he brought an animal just like his parents had taught him was necessary to satisfy God. Abel brings the firstlings of his flock. Again, verse 4, it says, the end of the fat thereof. Because that was the way that they were supposed to worship God. Should be pretty simple. Cain heard the same thing his brother heard. Cain, of course, he was a farmer, so he didn't raise uh, lamb sheep. He, he didn't have livestock like that. 
Certainly Cain could have traded with his brother to get a firstling of the flock, but Cain decided, I don't care. I'm not going to do it the way that God said we're supposed to do it. I'm going to do it my own way. Folks, that is the first step in this path to apostasy. Would you write this down? The first milestone is demonstrating the life of Cain. It's a waning. I'm going to give you double this tonight. It's a waning, W-A-N-I-N-G. It's a waning from the way of God. We hardly use waning anymore. If you do, congratulations. Most times the only context we ever use that word is when we talk about something is waxing, growing bigger, or waning, growing smaller. Here we have Abel who is willing to do it the way of God. But we have Cain that says, I don't care what the way of God is. I think that my way is as good as God's way. I'm saying to you, that's always the first step and the first milestone of an apostate's way. They come to a time in their life where they say, I know that this is what God wants, but I'm not going to do what God wants. I'm going to do what I want. And I think what I want is as legitimate as what God wants. Folks, just think about people that you know who once were in church, once loved God, once were part of the work of God, who maybe now they're not even in church anymore, or if they're in church, the only place that church is and the church that they attend is on the sign out front. I'm saying somewhere in their heart, though they had been taught the way of God, somewhere along that path they said, I'm not going to do it God's way anymore. I'm going to do it my way. Folks, that is the first step in an apostate's way. Cain decided he'd bring the best of his crop. Maybe it was vegetables, maybe it was fruit. No doubt it was the very best that he had. And the Bible says there in Genesis 4 and verse 4, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. Well, it's obvious why. Abel did it God's way. And Cain decided, I'm not going to do it God's way. Look at the last part of verse 5. And Cain was very wroth. He was angry. And his countenance fell. Countenance normally is what's on your face. When your countenance is like this, oh, that's a good thing. That's a good sign. You either just had a second donut, had your third coffee, for Brother Wilson, your fourth Coke. Uh, when your countenance was like that, you're excited. Well, when Cain's offering was not accepted, his countenance fell. And God's looking at Cain. Look what God says, verse number 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? In other words, this is a no-brainer, Cain. Why are you upset? Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Do you know God in his graciousness said, Cain, you messed up. You're trying to do it your way instead of God's way. But God says, Cain, I'll give you another chance. Isn't that a gracious God? God doesn't have to give us two chances, three, five, ten, fifteen. He really only has to give us one crack at it. Cain messed up. He did it his way instead of God's way. God said, listen, Cain, you can fix it. And you know what the right offering is. You know what God's way is. How about it? But as we read the rest of that chapter, Cain has no interest in doing it God's way. That's always the first step. Again, if you haven't written it down, the very first milestone of apostasy is demonstrated in the life of Cain. It's a waning. That's a weakening. It's a waning from the way of God. Do you know, again, we don't use that word waning very often, but it means to decrease gradually in size. It means to decline. 
Let's not be feel, uh, fooled. Cain didn't quit worshiping. Now, this is what you need to pay attention to because the context is apostasy. Cain still had an altar. He didn't give up an altar. He didn't remove an altar from his life. Cain still had a sacrifice. He still had a sacrifice in his life. Cain still heard God. And the way we know that's the very next verse, Genesis chapter number 4 and verse, uh, verse uh, 6, And the Lord said unto Cain, God is still trying to get a hold of Cain's heart. Cain's not listening. You say, preacher, I'm in church. What, what more evidence would you need that I'm an, not an apostate? Listen very closely. You can be in church, not hear God. You can be in church. You can be in the right place and in your heart decide, I'm not going to do God's way anymore. It's my way. So don't take complete comfort in being in the right place. Cain was in the right place. He and Abel were both in a place where they were trying to worship God. Abel was just trying to do it God's way. And Cain was trying to do it his own way. So Cain didn't quit worshiping God altogether. He still worshiped. And Cain didn't cut completely out an altar in his worship. He still had an altar. Cain didn't cancel uh, bringing an offering. He did bring an offering. Cain didn't quit listening for God. He did hear God. I'm saying apostates aren't those who are never in church. They were all once in church. Apostates aren't those that never worship. They all once at one time did. Just because you're still in church is no guarantee that in your head you haven't begun to convince yourself, I don't need to be here three times a week anymore. You might still be singing the old-fashioned hymns, but in your head convincing you, I don't think that it always has to be the hymns and the spiritual songs. You might still be listening to preaching, but not paying much attention to it. You might still be bringing some kind of a sacrifice to God. And so we notice that Cain does it his way. Look what happens, verse number 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. You know, when you have taken this first step, when I have taken this first step, where we are waning from the way of God. We have a hard time with people that are still doing it God's way. We have a difficult time with people that are still bringing the animal sacrifice because we don't think it has to be an animal sacrifice all the time. We have convinced ourselves that that's fanatical to require that. And very clearly, Cain is having a difficult time with Abel. So much so that it says there in verse number 8 that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. I'm saying to you, Cain had a hard time talking to Abel. That conversation only ended up with angry feelings and heated words. I wonder, is there something in your life, in your heart, and to be true for me? I know what God's told me to do. But I got a different way. I know that God says we're supposed to be water baptized by immersion. I think any method of baptism is okay. Careful. Someone says, I, I, I know that we're supposed to get into a Bible-believing church. But I think any church will do. Careful. Someone says to themselves, I, I know that God put a Bible in our hands to read every day, every day, every day. Well, I don't think I have to read it every day. Uh, someone says, you know what, I, I know I'm supposed to sing the old-fashioned songs of God. I think any tune will do. Someone says, you know, I, I know that we're supposed to get the gospel out near and far, but I, I think someone else can do that. Folks, that is the first step. It's no longer God's way, it's my way. And so the difference between Cain and Abel, when God dealt with Abel, Abel listened. And when God dealt with Cain, he didn't listen. 
I say first milestone is Cain's. It's just a waning, a stepping back from the way of God. If you still have Jude, let's look at the second one quickly. I'm trying to hurry. See, I preach that would be the first in your life. I know, I'm trying. Uh, look there in Jude verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. That was his own way. No longer God's way, I think my way is sufficient. Look at the second one. And ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. If you, if you would, Cain pictures someone who used to go walk in God's way. And in their heart, they began to turn. Their own way. Okay, now he says Balaam. Keep your hands still in Jude. Look there in Numbers chapter 22. Again, I think that Balaam would be a, also a familiar story, but just in case someone is not familiar, Numbers 22. Numbers chapter 22. Preacher, uh, the first step is Cain. And you're saying the very first step of apostasy. I no longer think it has to be God's way. I, 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 I think it can be my way. Mine is as good as God's. Really? I mean, honestly, seriously, you have as good of a way as God? That's ridiculous. So in Cain, it was just a turning in his heart. Their second one is Numbers chapter 22. It talked about and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for war. Preacher, what's the story of Balaam all about? Well, look at Numbers 22 verse 1. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side of Jordan by Jericho. If, if I had a map, and I never have one when I say it, but the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and being in bondage, they crossed the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai, God gave them the commands, they immediately went marching to Kadesh Barnea, that was on the southernmost part of all of Canaan. Of course, they sent 12 spies in, when they came back, they said it's a beautiful land, 10 said we can't take it, giant's too tall, wall's too high. God made them wander again in that wilderness for 40 years. They finally come up along the east side of the Dead Sea and they come to the land of Moab. Moab is just about the last stop before crossing the Jordan and going into the Promised Land. So they have been traveling for 39 years. And they come to Moab. Well, the king of Moab, his name is Balak, he's been reading the news. Now, he reads CBC and... Uh, I'll leave it alone. And so it's always got a slant. And, and, and King Balak reads, every enemy that Israel has come against, they've conquered. And we are dead meat because we're coming up next. And he begins to scratch his head and pace the wall at night. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he bites his fingernails down to his elbows. What are we going to do? And all... All of a sudden, one of his counselors said, you know what, if, if we bring in a prophet to curse Israel, then they won't be able to beat us. That's what we read, chapter 22, Numbers 22, verse number 2, And Balak, the son of Zippor, that's the king, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. That's a previous enemy they defeated. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because there were many, and Moab was distressed because the children of Israel and Moab said unto the elders of Midian, that's his other leaders, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us, as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent messengers therefore unto Balaam. So who's this Balaam? He looked in the yellow pages of the phone book. You see, do you really get that? It's all in the originals. He, he looked in the yellow pages and the biggest print uh, prophet was Balaam. And he thinks, well, if this guy's got the biggest print, he must have the biggest business, best sales. I'm going to bring this guy in. And if I get him to curse Israel, well, then we'll beat them. So he sends some of his ambassadors. He sends them to Balaam. And uh, they're going to talk Balaam into coming. Let's pick the story up there, Numbers 22, uh, verse number 6. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. 
for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that we may smite them and that I might drive them out of the land. For I wot, I know that he whom thou, Balaam, blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. And so that's the message, verse 7. And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. You know, what is that? Uh, money. <laughs> King Balak said everybody has a price. Everybody. And so he sent, you know, he sent big bucks. And they came to Balaam. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole story. That's a message in itself. When they knock on Balaam's door, Balaam said, what's up, gentlemen? He said, we have a king that wants you to come and curse the nation of Israel. He said, well, I can only do what God tells me to do. That sounds pretty good. He goes to God that night and says, God, and God, get three ways. God said, no, no, capital N-O, no. So the next morning, Balaam goes back to those that stayed in his home that night and said, I can't. You have to go back to your king. I cannot do what you're asking me to do. Do you know if Numbers 22 ended with that, Balaam would have gone down as one of the greats in the Bible. Well, those messengers go back to Balak, and Balak said, well, where is he? Well, he wouldn't come. He said, you can only do what God said do, and uh, he said, God said no. Balak said, come on, guys. Don't you know how to do business? Haven't you taken that, uh, that course? <laughs> and he sends them back with more money. Because everybody has a prize. Goes back to Balak, or Balaam again. And Balaam says, gentlemen, you'll have to stay here tonight. I've got to talk to God again. Hold on a minute. God already told you the answer. Here is a man that's wanting to change the way of God. But they brought more money. And you know, Balaam, he goes with those men. Balak takes Balaam on one mountain to see, and instead of cursing, Balaam blesses them. Balak takes them to a second mountain, and instead of cursing Israel, he blesses them. Balak takes him to a third mountain where he can only see part of Israel, thinking maybe he's overwhelmed, and he blesses a third time. King Balak is furious, and he says, Go on home. I was willing to make you rich, but you wouldn't do what I told you to do. And Balaam said, I can only do what God tells me. Boy, that sure sounds so impressive. That kind of sounds like, um, you know, I'll only do it if I have a chapter and a verse. Balaam starts heading back home. But he begins to think, how can I get that money? I can't curse that nation. How can I get that money? And do you know what? Somewhere on his way home, Balaam stopped. He took a U-turn with that donkey and he came back. And he said to the king, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you how God will curse them. And he whispers in King Balak's ear, if you'll do so and so and if you'll do so and so and if you'll do this and so and God himself will curse that people. And he says to Balak, he said, do I still get the check? And he said, you get half the check, Buster. <laughs> Why would Balaam advise a nation to destroy God's people? Why would somebody in the church try to manipulate a church so that it would go down the wrong path? Because somewhere in it, there's something for them. It might not be money. It might be position. I'm saying to you that the second, if you would write this down, the second milestone is demonstrated by Balaam, a wanting for more world, but at God's expense. A wanting for more world, but at God's expense. 
You say, preacher, what is it that Balaam told Balak to do? Keep your hand in Numbers. I know you've also got it in Jude, but look there in Revelation chapter 2. For it's in Revelation 2 that we find out what Balaam told King Balak. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. Revelation 2 and verse 14, here John is writing to the third church at Pergamos. Revelation 2, 14, but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. What Balaam said to King Balak is, I can't curse those people. God's blessed them. But if you can get them to commit fornication, if you can get them to eat meat that was offered to idols, God himself will be mad at these people and God will judge these people. Well, let's see if that's what happened back in Numbers. I know we're all over the place, but Numbers 22, 23, 24. Look there in Numbers 24, verse 25. The Bible says, the very last verse, Numbers 24, and Balaam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak also went, to, uh, went his way. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You wouldn't know what happened between chapter 24 and 25 if you didn't have Revelation 2.14. You see, why would a man like Balaam advise immorality, advise that kind of wickedness, because he gets something out of it. Remember I said the very first step was Cain in his heart. He began to turn. I don't know why it has to always be done God's way. I think my way is just as good. Do you know the second step is Balaam ran greedily. He just had to have more of that world. And he couldn't get it fast enough. Folks, if in your heart, God's way is not the only way. If any other way than God's way is acceptable to you, you won't be able to get enough of this world fast enough. Say, preacher, can you bring that down to the bottom shelf? Sure can. Balaam in a church or the kind of people that says, listen, if we can bring in contemporary Christian music to get more folks to come to church, well, then let's do it. Pastor, if we can bring in the drums and the electric guitar and the praise team so that more folks would come to church, then, preacher, I think we need to do it. Preacher, if contemporary Christian living will help people to be more comfortable than let's get preacher maybe we should bring in some famous singers pastor maybe on this platform we should bring in some Hollywood actors preacher maybe we should bring in some famous people in sports or in television Pastor, you're getting old on us. Preacher, your preaching's too long, I confess. Pastor, your preaching is too pointed. You're right. Pastor, your, your preaching is too emphatic. I agree with that. Pastor, why don't we just bring in some name brands from the world? Because if we bring that kind in, preacher, we can fill the pews and the chairs again. You'll do it at the expense of God. You'll do it at the expense of the blessing of God. That's Balaam. He wants more world. Cain was just turning. Balaam wants more world. I give you the last thing. I'm done with this. Look there in, in uh, if you would, uh, back there in Jude. If you still have Jude, then we're going to turn to Numbers 16, 
Again, Jude verse 11. Jude verse 11, it says, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Cain's way was my way, my own way. Secondly, he said, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Third, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Third one is Korah. It's the only place that he's called Kor. The other 39 times, it's Korah. Look there in number 16. Number 16. Again, we're, we're trying to look at what's the milestones. How can someone go into apostasy? How is that even possible? Somewhere they have to be convinced it doesn't have to be God's way all the time. I think my way is as good as God's way. That's Cain. There might be someone here tonight. You don't think a King James Bible is the only Bible. Pretty sure any Bible would be okay. That's Cain. Preacher, we don't always have to sing these hymns. Preacher, surely there's something more contemporary we can bring in. That's Cain. Pastor, church three times a week, come on, isn't once enough? For you, you need four. But that's Cain. In his heart, he was convinced. It doesn't have to be God's way all the time. Well, when you get to step two, he's not only now just turned the world's direction. He's going as fast as he can that direction. And he's doing it because he gets something in that. It could be money. There's, listen, there, there's more than one person who's walked away from church because they were offered big bucks. But they had to sacrifice God. And they had to sacrifice church for it. That's the second step. Third step. You'd write this down. Third step is Korah. And Korah is demonstrated. Look there in number 16. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. Stop right there. So the first man is Korah. Korah is a Levite. Korah is of the favored tribe of Levi. If I could say this, Korah has a position in the church. He's a Levite. But he wants more. He's not happy with just being a Levite. You know the only one that stood in Korah's way of getting more is Moses. But Korah doesn't have the character to go by himself. He wants to have a posse. And so look who he talks into joining him, verse 1. Numbers 16.1, And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelah, the sons of Reuben, Took men. So, although Korah himself was Levite, these other buddies that he got to join him, they weren't Levites. Look at verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. You have 254 people marching up to Moses. Look at verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much uh, upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation. Do you understand what they're saying? You made yourself the boss. You put yourself in charge. Any of us could do what you're doing. All of us have as much a right to do, Moses and Aaron, what you're doing. What was, why Moses and Aaron? They were the only two that were standing in the way of Korah accomplishing what he wanted done. Now, look, I am trying to hurry. If I could do it in seven minutes, I'd be a happy man too. <laughs> too. Look what he says. Verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said, Ye take too much upon you. You took this responsibility. You made yourself in charge. You called yourself the chief. Question. When God called Moses in Exodus 4, did Moses want it? He <laughs> didn't want it. Lord, he came up with excuse, the excuse mill. I can't talk. I'm not able to. He 
Moses tried to get out of it. God's called you, you can't get out of it. But this idea, you took this upon yourselves? No, 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 no. that was wrong. Keep going, verse 3. You take too much upon yourselves, seeing all the congregation are holy. <laughs> Question. Were all the Israelites holy? Because they've been, up until number 16, they were dropping like flies in every chapter. They sinned against God, God smacked them dead. The next chapter, they complain, God knacks. Seeing all the congregation are holy? Well, no, 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 no. Well, preacher, maybe you really didn't mean all of them. Well, keep reading in verse 3. Uh, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them. <laughs> That's exactly what he meant. Any of us would be suitable to do, Moses, what you're doing. Well, keep reading. Uh, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Uh, no, he's not. God wasn't pleased with them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Could I give you a third thing, third milestone uh, demonstrated in the life of an apostate is Korah. And those are angry workers. Sorry, angry words against the workers of God. Third thing. Angry words against the workers of God. First step was quietly wanting something other than God's way. Second step is secretly recommending a godless way and running with it. And the third step is defiantly opposing everybody who stands in the way. Folks, I don't think I'm any better than you. All I know is God put me in the pastorate of this church. That's all I know. Do I think there are many times where you could have done it better than me? Absolutely. But that doesn't change that God put some people into the leadership of a church. And when God puts somebody into the leadership of the church, I think you need to be careful that when something is done the way that you thought it shouldn't have been done, there's probably a better way to approach that. And Korah thought angry words, accusatory words, that's what Korah did. Cain wasn't defiant in his words against God. But by the time you get to Korah, he has no qualms whatsoever into raking Moses over the coals. And folks, that's always the final step. That's always the third step. And we're warned to avoid anybody who implies that they know how to do it better. That always sets somebody up for apostasy. Preacher, what if we have a difference of opinion? Then there's a the right way to deal with that. Let's talk about it, not Korah's way. You know, in Jude, again, let's end with Jude, verse 11. Jude, verse 11. And, and, and again, I've got three minutes. <laughs> Preacher, how does somebody get to an apostate's position? You said it doesn't happen overnight. The very first step is in their heart. It doesn't always have to be God's way. So in their heart, they're turning. Second step is they begin to say, I think that a little bit more of the world would be okay. But it's always at the expense of God. It's always at the expense of the touch of God and the blessing of God. And the third step is they have no qualms about being critical of anybody that stands in their way. Look there in Jude again, verse 11. It's where we started this, morning, uh, this evening. Jude, verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Gainsaying is speaking words to get the advantage, speaking words to get ahead, 
It's an attempt to use speech to gain an advantage over someone else. And you know, the pastorate, one of the requirements is hold fast the faithful word as that they have been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. It's part of the ministry. So there will be times where some rise up and insist that they know better. Listen, many, many of us have been in a church plant. Many of us have. I wish that was never the case. Preach a word at start. Somebody in their heart says, I don't think it has to be God's way all the way. I think there are other ways to do it. That's the first thing. It happens in a heart. Could be in a heart even tonight. Doesn't always have to be God's way. It's not long before they're open to inviting more of the world in. In a church, it's always justified by we can have more people attend if we do. Yes, but God might not show up. And the third step is an open and blatant criticism of anybody who is in a position of leadership. You say, preacher, I'm not there. Could you be here? Could it be that somewhere in your heart, you say, I don't think it always has to be God's way. Folks, let's stop it when it's there. Let's pray. Lord, we've only looked at one verse. Up to now in Jude, the warning has kind of been, be careful as a church what these will try to do to the church. But when we get to verse 11, we begin to see the mile markers that were passed in the apostate themselves, first in their heart, and maybe no one could see it but in their heart, I just don't see why it always has to be God's way. Lord, if there's someone here tonight, and that's what's in their heart, that's the first step. Lord, stop us at the first step. Second step is a invitation for more world, but it's at the expense of God. The third step is an open defiance against those that are in any position of leadership. Lord, we wouldn't want to be at step three or two or one. 